Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Little Patrol, welcome to the uh, Jesus 911. I'm here with my uh, Paul Clay, my partner. He's out there in Nevada. I'm out here in Illinois, in the great state of Illinois. Here, I'm here doing some power preaching with Devil Destroying Theology. I'll be here for a couple of days until Friday. Paul, can you hear me? Welcome to the show, my brother. Thank you, Jess. Good to be here. Hey, uh, tra- just want to just want to mention. By the way. Thank you, partner. Just want to mention uh, for everybody uh, that's listening that the month of April is dedicated both to the to the devotion of the Holy Eucharist and devotion to the Holy Spirit in Catholic tradition. And this tradition has developed because Easter Sunday often falls in April. And so in essence, April is the month of Easter. And during the Easter celebration, we also remember the Eucharistic sacrifice that Christ gave us at the Last Supper and the gift of the Holy Spirit to make us fishers of men. So in April, as Catholics, we celebrate the Holy Eucharist and we celebrate the get the reception of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Oh, there's a lot. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle us with the fire of your love and send forth your spirit. And we shall be recreated and thou shall renew the face of the earth. Paul, let's talk about collegiality. You and me have been having a discussion about collegiality, about the way, uh, I think it really depends on who's the Bishop of Rome at the time. It's it's something that could be... Uh, that could be a boon, a help to the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, but it could be also something that could be mis- misused and abused. If, uh, if we have a Bishop of Rome, that's uh, not as Orthodox as his predecessors. Let's say you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you nailed it, Jess. Uh, as I'm thinking back on some of our discussions, uh, like most things, it's, both end right yeah there, there you go you know i mean you know there's there you know there's there's some good applications and then like anything things can be misused as well so uh but uh i'm you know really sensitive to the subject because uh as you know jess i took a detour out of the catholic church and went into uh protestantism and i saw the hopeless divide amongst our Protestant uh, brothers and sisters. And uh, so, uh, you know, as you know, I'm going to fall on the side of, uh, you know, on the the conservative side that the, the, that the Pope, you know, um, in the end, he has the, uh, the final say. He has the final veto power. Yes, he has veto power. Uh, yeah, because you, you've seen Protestantism, Paul, and you've seen the way uh, congregations vote in and vote out the pastors. There's no uh, governing board, no, you know, no, no Supreme Court, so to speak, to say, thus saith the Lord on, uh, on euthanasia, on abortion, et cetera, et cetera. And so you've seen collegiality i guess amongst protestants it hasn't worked too well where everybody kind of like has their own opinion about christianity right 
Yeah. Um, and I've seen pastors who really took the right stand, the conservative stand, and because, uh, you know, the congregation and those in power within the congregations underneath the pastor, uh, you know, uh, decided they did not want the orthodox or the conservative position. And so they, they literally ran them out with pitchforks. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's, uh, so I've seen that. So I'm very sensitive to, uh, you know, in, in understanding that when we're talking about the church, you know, God, you, uh, you know, set up the um, the church as a kingdom, right? And, and he did. Kingdom yep. has he ha- has a king, and it's a monarchy. You know, this a, mon- a monarchy, and and we're not real familiar with that over here in the U.S. Jess, we're we're not so, at all. Uh, yeah, we're so democratic and under the democratic system and the majority and so forth that, you know, we, we sometimes don't know how to function under a, mo- a monarchy. Heaven is a monarchy, by the way, Paul. The final, the, 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 the final homecoming, it's not egalitarian. It's, it, it is a monarchy. Uh, and it's, uh, it, there's going to be kind of a, a top-down structure. <laughs> Yes, 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 top down. And uh, uh, I can't wait till that. uh, I mean, even though even though it's here now, I can't wait till it's fully realized. Yeah, because in heaven, it'll be perfected right now again, because of human personalities and human imperfections and defects and our fallen nature. uh, A lot of these what could be perfect structures set up by Christ and the apostles have been uh have been abused and have been uh redefined and have been have been misused in fact let me read a couple of paragraphs from the new from the the catechism of the catholic church on collegiality so that the audience knows what are these guys talking about collegiality (laughs) here are the four paragraphs that vatican ii uses on collegiality it's paragraph 861, 862, 880, and 883. So let me read it. It says this. 861. In order that the mission entrusted to them might be continued after their death, the apostles consigned by will and testament, as it were, to their immediate collaborators the duty of completing and consolidating the work they had begun urging them to tend to the whole flock in which the Holy Spirit had appointed them uh, to shepherd the church of God. That's basically lifted right out of Acts chapter 20, verse 28. They, apostles, accordingly designated such men and then made them the ruling that likewise on their death, other proven men should take over their ministry. Yes, so what's saying here is that Jesus chose the 12 apostles and the 12 apostles gave us the next wave of apostles that we call bishops. Paragraph 862. Just as the office which the Lord confided to Peter alone, so that's basically appealing back to Vatican I, as first of the apostles destined to be transmitted to his successors is a permanent one. So also endures the office by which the apostles received of shepherding the church a charge destined to be exercised without interruption by the sacred order of bishops. In other words, the bishops succeed the apostles. And in fact, the apostles are actually called in Greek, they're called bishops. 
in the book of Acts chapter 1. The office of an apostle is called episcopate uh, in the Greek, so that's the office of bishop. Hence, the church teaches that the bishops have, by divine institution, taken the place of the apostles as pastors of the church in such wise that whoever listens to them is listening to Christ, and whoever despises them despises Christ and him who sent Christ. So that's out of Luke chapter 10, verse 16. Two more paragraphs, 880. When Christ instituted the 12, he constituted them in the form of a college or permanent assembly. So the word college and assembly is used interchangeably here by Vatican II. The word assembly, by the way, that's, that's the Greek word for church. That's the way you say a church in Greek. It's ecclesia, which in English is literally translated assembly. At the head of which he placed Peter, chosen from among them. Just as by the Lord's institution, St. Peter and the rest of the apostles constitute a single apostolic college. So in like fashion, the Roman pontiff, Peter's successor, and the bishops, the successors of the apostles, are related with and united to one another. To me, that just goes back to the whole concept of the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 26 to 27. But of course, within that body of Christ, Paul the Apostle says, we have bishops, pastors, teachers, evangelists, etc., etc. So within the body of Christ, there's still, there's still a hierarchy, as St. Paul says. Then in paragraph 883, the college of bot or body of bishops has no authority unless united with the Roman pontiff, Peter's successor, as its head. As such, this college has supreme and full authority over the universal church, but this power cannot be exercised without the agreement of the Roman pontiff. Close quote. And th this goes back to the basically Council of Jerusalem where they uh, started taking a look at what they were going to uh, bring in from Judaism into Christianity and what were they were going to consider obsolete. And so as they discussed it, Peter had the final say, so he, he made the final declaration and everybody fell silent. So uh, yeah. we, we, see there, we see there the appeal, the appeal to Peter. Yeah. And he, you also, the, the early councils of the church, like at the Council of Chalcedon in 431 A.D., when Pope Leo stood up, he, the, the, the uh, bishop said, Peter has spoken through Leo, the matter is settled. And there's also another quote from St. Augustine where he would also say, Rome has spoken, the matter is settled. And that means that the Pope has spoken, the matter is settled. So that's pretty, that's embedded in church tradition, Paul. Yeah, Comment? and uh, yeah, so, so back to Acts, even though James was the bishop in Jerusalem, uh, in the end, when, when when a question came up where clarity was needed, uh, it, you know, it wasn't the answer wasn't found until Peter spoke, and that's what settled the matter. And then, of course, everyone was in agreement with Peter. We're going to share an article that's written by the SS SSPX. It's a well written article, and uh, I may not agree with everything they say, but they bring up some good points, so it's worth discussing. You're listening to Jesus 911, Jess Romero, Paul Clay. We're going to talk about the problem with collegiality from the point of the SSPX. We'll, we'll try to do, be fair and balanced here. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, 
Dial 888-526-2151. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. Our Lady of the Ukraine, pray for us. St. Joseph, Cherubimans, pray for us. We're talking about the concept of collegiality. There's a good article written by a, a Catholic priest from the SSPX, and we want to share it. It says, uh, the problem with collegiality from the vantage point of the SSPX. Let me just give you one more definition of collegiality from, Father, from the Servant of God, Father John Hardin's Catholic Dictionary. Here's what he says. The bishops of the Roman Catholic Church united under the Pope as an Episcopal community, according to the Second Vatican Council, St. Peter and the other apostles constitute a single apostolic college. In like manner, the Roman pontiff, pontiff Peter's successor, and the bishops, successors of the apostles are linked together. This community of Pope and bishops and this community of Pope and bishops and the bishops amongst themselves was created by Christ and therefore belongs by divine right to the nature of the church he founded. In other words, this is what Christ established. Paul, so let's go, we're going to go paragraph by paragraph, and then we'll just comment on uh, what we agree, what we disagree. Let me, uh, let me just share, as it says here in the article. What does the SSPX have to object to the decrees of Vatican II? Among the most important objections we have with the documents of Vatican II, writes this SSPX priest, he says, we must mention what Father Schmidberger described as three time bombs. In a nutshell, these issues were, number one, religious liberty. And by the way, I agree with them. That's, uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot of ambiguous statements there. Totally agree. And we'll do another show on, on religious liberty and what the documents actually say. Uh, number two, ecumenism. I agree. Uh, yeah. There's some amb ambiguities there as well. Particularly false uh, ecumenism. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like Pachamama would be an example of false ecumenism. Yeah. Uh, and number three, collegiality. Okay. Uh, I'm not convinced on that one, but we'll, we'll, we'll go through the article and maybe I, maybe I may be convinced. Uh, there's something else that I would add there that this priest didn't add was Sacrosanctum Concilium, which is the document on the mass. The document on the Vatican II mass, I, I maintain has never been followed because if you follow the actual a mass of Vatican II, it's very clear. It says that Latin is supposed to be given pride of place. The priest is supposed to be doing the, the consecration at Orientum. That means facing east towards the tabernacle. Uh, Vatican II never said to take off altar rails and never said to put women on the altar to as lectors. Vatican II never said uh, to take away the patents. Vatican II never called for altar girls. All of these are innovations. That, that modernists yeah. have inserted because again what happened at vatican ii well i like to tell people modernism was already around for a hundred years the popes were already writing about it but vatican ii was the coming out party of the wedding cake these prostitutes came out at the bachelor's party at vatican ii yeah and i, I think just that the liberals uh what they did was uh they they interpreted vatican ii to say change you see the catholic church can change you know that you know because they were you know uh success was was had when the 
mass was changed to the novus ordo, right? So, so they, they, they just took that, that battle cry of change and they ran amok with it. That's right. Well, let's stick, let's stick to the topic of collegiality. Let's see what this priest from the SSPX writes. He says this, as we are, uh, uh, as we are specifically working on the Episcopal element of the church, that means the bishops, we want to focus on the last of the, ti- of the, of the time bombs set at Vatican II, which exploded afterwards. Would you mind giving us a rough definition of what this term collegiality entails? So the priest writes, the SSPX priest writes this. Collegiality, broadly speaking, is the power exercised by a college as opposed to an individual. In modern government, we would call it an aristocratic versus a monarchical power. Applied to the Catholic Church, this means that the Apostolic College governed along with Peter, the Pope, and that this exercise passed on to their successor, uh, the College of the Apostles. So here's my only take uh, with this. It's in Luke chapter 22. Uh, the, the, the Apostle Peter, obviously he has primacy. Our Lord says, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. He says, but when you have turned around, when you, when you have basically converted, uh, he says, you will confirm your brethren. So the office mm-hmm. of Peter is the office of primacy. In other words, he's supposed to confirm his brother bishops in the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And in fact, I think we do see this. I don't think it's an either or. I think we see uh, monarchy and aristocracy in, in the New Testament. Uh, and I'll give you some examples. But in Acts chapter 15, here's the aristocracy of the church. All the apostles gathered together at the Council of Jerusalem because Paul had went to go preach to the Gentiles. And he comes back and he's very confused about the issue of circumcision and other ceremonial rites. And he didn't know what to say. So he came back as an apostle chosen by Christ to confer with the apostles. It, this is such a huge issue, the, the, the Judaizing doctrines that they had to gather in the first church council called the Council of Jerusalem. Uh, James was the bishop of Jerusalem, so he had primacy in Jerusalem. So they discussed the issue, but it was Peter that made the final decision and the apostles fell silent. To me, I see their aristocracy. They all came together. It wasn't Peter by himself. But then I also see monarchy, that Peter had the final voice on the matter of the Judaizing tendencies at the time. Paul? Yeah. I, I, of course, that's right out of sacred scripture. So there's no argument there. But uh, as far as the aristocracy, um, I think that the point that the... Uh, the writer of the article is making the priest that wrote the article is that when 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 that has the final say therein lies the problem you know what i mean or or when that uh comes to opposite you know rises up in opposition against peter oh yeah i think that's the absolutely point he's trying to make uh that, that there there because there therein lies the problem but as far as you know, the actual working out of things, no, uh, there, there is that aspect that and there's no issue with that. I mean, I think Acts uh, showed the, exactly how it should properly take place. Yeah, I'm looking at the, at the word aristocracy in dictionary.com. It says, 
the high class in certain societies, those holding hereditary titles, uh, those that have the right to elect the king, the upper class, the ruling class, a form of government in which power is held by the nobility, uh, the privileged or superior class. Well, that would that would definitely uh, define the, the apostles. They were definitely spiritually. They were the ruling class. They were the elect. Mm -hmm. They were the ones that held the power of Christ. So yeah, the next question the is this. And the College of the Cardinals does, uh, you know, uh, uh, elect the next pope. And they're also supposed to be the advisors to the pope. But again, it depends on who's the pope. Some popes exercise more humility when it comes to the College of Cardinals. And then just some popes, like this pope, has refused to meet with the four dubia cardinals. Two are dead now, but they asked some legitimate questions about certain things that he was teaching. And it's been yeah, 10 years, and he and he has failed to answer their questions. And so, again, they, they he, he, he moved to more of a, mon, a monarchical position, like, I'm the Pope, don't ask me any questions. But, I, again, when things are in his favor, or when he agrees, then he moves over to aristocracy. And he says, hey, I want to hear what all of you have to say. So he shifts, yeah. he shifts the goalpost, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, there's no consistency there whatsoever, other than he's consistently moving toward modernist views. And that's yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Um, the next question they ask this priest is, in the Inside Story of Vatican II, it's a book called The Rhine Flows Into the Tiber. It's a very good book written by Father Wilgen. He explains that the modernist elements at the council felt that this was a decisive battle, collegiality. Would you elaborate on this? So the SSPX priest says this, modernists like Karl Rahner, by the way, a card-carrying modernist, Congar, and Ratzinger, that's Pope Benedict, who, yeah, he admits he was a modernist in, uh, in the 60s, indeed put their own twist on collegiality. For them, not only was there a communion, in the a communion in the magisterium or church teaching, there had to be a magisterium of communion. Said otherwise, the Pope was not, not the only supreme teacher he had to share his office with the College of Bishops. The church was not a circle orbiting around one center, it, which is the way it should be. It described an ellipse around two centers. Now, here's I, yeah. I personally yeah. don't see this since Vatican II mm -hmm. still sees Peter as the final voice and as, as one having an office of primacy. And even after the council, the documents of Vatican II still see the Pope as the final teacher. I just We just read them in segment number one. The difference that we have today is because the modernists are so numerous, they just disobey or dismiss what the Pope says when he's conservative, when he's orthodox. Because we now have the media, and the modernists use the media to reject the Pope's teachings and oppose them. And, and the modernists, because of the media, have become emboldened against good Popes, and they use the liberal media to promote their alternate magisterium which is the voice of modernist theologians from these Ivy League Catholic universities and colleges. Paul? Yeah, let me just read from another article uh, in, entitled Understanding Collegiality. Okay, and this, uh, it says, one of the strikes against the authority of the sovereign pontiff, perhaps the greatest attack, is the erroneous teaching of collegiality. This attack, which seeks to undo the monarchical constitution of the church 
and in its place leave a democratic structure comprised of the Pope and the bishops throughout the world, who also exercise authority, collegiality, without the Pope's having, by necessity, called them to that task, strikes at the heart of the Lord's foundation of the church upon Peter. So essentially, what I think that in this article, he's touched on the fact that uh, under this, under the guise of collegiality, a lot of bishops are moving in directions uh, that the Pope has not uh, um, uh, mandated or directed them to do. And in so doing, you have a situation, and I think this article kind of points it out, like uh, like the German uh, bishops right now and what's mm-hmm. going on in Germany. And uh, they... They fail to yield to the Holy Father on, on uh, you know, when they, sh- you know, when they should. Anyway, we'll get back to it on the other side of the break. I hear the music. Absolutely. Good, good topic. Awesome. Jesus 911. Stick around. We'll be right back. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, two-man car, Jess Romero, Paul Clay. We're talking about collegiality. Uh, <clears throat> Paul, you were making a statement before the, the we uh, went to the break. If you could finish off your statement. Yeah, so uh, again, I, I think the the issue lies when uh, when those who uh, the collegiality of bishops uh, uh, when they decide that they don't want to go along with what the uh, what the Pope has to say. Now, I know it's difficult for us to to kind of understand this train of thought because right now we're in a situation where we have a Pope who. Seemingly is running roughshod over uh, 2,000 years of Catholic teaching on a lot of issues, and so uh, you know, on the one hand, we're tempted to think that collegiality, oh, it's just the it's the greatest thing in the world. I mean, it, you know, it gives us the ability to uh, stand up, but in reality, what what God requires is look at we we stand for the truth, and if we ever do run into a uh, a, a tyrant that sits in the chair of Peter, well, uh, we may have to go out like martyrs in that sense, rather than, uh, you know, uh, democratically say, oh, let's all get together and do this from, uh, you know, uh, you know, another way or resist the Pope, you know, uh, you know, there's strength in numbers. So let's all gather together. You know, that's not God's way. Uh, and the Pope, you remember, in, in our theology, he is in the place of Christ. He is, uh, you know, speaking for the king. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent, so to speak, uh, that, that's God's issue at that point. Does that make sense, Jeff? Yeah, it makes sense. I, I'll tell you where I, the, the issue of collegiality has benefited, for example, the Diocese of Phoenix. I'll give you just... Mm-hmm. This is why I like the autonomy of, of the bishops. They look at the perennial teachings of the church and they're saying, okay, 
I'm the bishop, I'm, I'm the little pope in my diocese. I'm going to apply this. Uh, for example, Pope Francis, let's not respectfully, I'm just going to say he's not real fond of the Latin mass. I don't think anybody's, anybody's going to argue that. Uh, yet the bishop here in, in, in Phoenix, he is fond of the Latin mass. And so even though that decree came out, that document from the Pope on restricting the Latin mass, uh, the, the diocese of Phoenix, the, the, the bishop here, actually went, uh, he became more generous. They just opened up a second FSSP parish in Phoenix, and uh, he's given um, other diocesan priests permission to do the Latin Mass in their parish. So he actually respectfully went against what the Pope asked, and he did it because he's listening to his people. The, the people want more of the Latin Mass, want more tradition. And so the, the, the Bishop of Phoenix gave it more generously, even against the Pope's letter that he wrote. Another, another good example of where Catholics, you, you could benefit from the collegiality of Bishop. When a Bishop knows what the church has always taught, saying, I don't have to run every two minutes to Rome and find out, you know, if, I, for example, when Pope Francis came out with a document on marriage called Amoris Laetitia, which is still being hotly debated today, there's a section in that document where Pope Francis gives permission to people who are in a second marriage who have not had an annulment. So they're living technically against the sixth and ninth commandment. They're living either in adultery or in fornication. But he's given them, in the Morris Letizia, if they believe based on their own personal conscience that they're right with God, they can receive Holy Communion. Once again, okay. the bishop okay. in Phoenix, the bishop in Phoenix stood up and said, and he did it respectfully. Very, He says, I understand what the Holy Father has taught, but here in the Diocese of Phoenix, we will continue uh, holding to the perennial teachings of the Catholic Church based on 2,000 years of papacy, so nothing will change here. So, uh, so uh, there's a safeguard if you have a pope that tracks modernists, which we have one right now. And then you have bishops like mine or Strickland or some others where they're saying, uh, I have respect for the Holy Father. He's a brother apostle, but we're going to continue holding fast as, uh, as Jude 3 says, to the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Yes. Okay, I see, I see a couple of issues here at hand. You use the term um, font. You know, this pope is not fond of the Latin mask. Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily frame it like that. Uh, what he believes, or at least what he, what he said was that he believes that, you know, there are certain people who you know, champion the Latin Mass in such a way that it somehow has become uh, divisive within the church. And, uh, you know, with one group saying, well, this, you know, the Latin Mass, you know, is, you know, is the only Mass versus, you know, the Novus Ordo is, is somehow deficient. And so this was his reasoning behind it, right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm just, yeah. you know, his reasoning, he saw it as divisive. Now, that's his, you know, opinion and his decision as the Pope 
as the you know uh, you know he you know he he should have an opinion on that and act accordingly now that being said um you know, so that's one of those issues where it's kind of like a husband and a wife, you know, uh, wives submit yourselves unto your husbands. You're like, well, um, you know, it doesn't mean that the husband should just, you know, lord it over the wife per se. But at the same time, you know, in the end, the husband, you know, is in that position of head of the wife, just as Christ is head of the church. And it's the same model but when when we look at Peter, he is uh, the you know he is the master of the house, so to speak, and he speaks for the king. Uh, you know, as the example in Isaiah, where he walked around with a key on his shoulder, actually, you know, the the master of the house, and uh, you know, it, it was a um, delegated position, and that it kind of like in the sense where it talks about Joseph, the Pharaoh gave Joseph his signet ring. Well. Well, once he had that ring on his finger and he, you know, he was able to speak for Pharaoh in that sense. And so there is, you know, again, I, I get it. You know, when, when, when the tide's not going our way, we tend to want to say, hey, you know, we want to have the ability to take a stand. Well, I, we can take a stand because when when anybody speaks what we know to be not consistent with with uh, the established teaching of the church, well, we're obligated to stand for the truth. So in the sense of the bishop in Phoenix, um, you know, uh, he's the second example. Um, there's no issue, uh, you know, with, with that versus, you know, something that's a little bit less clear cut, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Here, here's another uh, point in the article that says, could you please explain the position of the two main parties on the role of Bishop's College in the church? And uh, the SSPX priest says, in the traditional interpretation, the Bishop's College exercised supreme authority merely by human right. Uh, hence, the Pope enjoyed supreme authority by divine right, and there was no dual power. Uh, I, I, I wish he would have footnoted where he got that from, because I'm... Uh, when he says that the bishops exercise their power by human right, and the reason I, I wish he would have footnoted that is because the bishop's power comes from Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 18, right from Jesus. It's divine right. It's an office mm -hmm. given by Jesus. He even calls them, in the Greek word is episcope, which is bishop. That's what the apostles are called in the New Testament. That's a divine uh, institution, not only Peter's, we know Peter's is divine, Matthew 16, 18, and 19. Divine rights were given to Peter, but divine rights were also given to the other apostles in Matthew 18, 15, verse 18. Virtually the same language is used, but for except giving them the keys, which shows that Peter has supreme authority over the entire church. And then you also have, and, and this priest from the SSPX has to know this, but again, uh, maybe he just forgot to write it. All the this is old Catholic teaching. This is way beyond before Vatican II. This goes back to the early church fathers that all the apostles received the office of priest at the Last Supper. Christ instituted them priests of the new covenant, above and beyond the Aaronic and the and the Levitical priesthood. It was given to them by divine right at the Last Supper. 
And so, uh, again, when this priest says the bishop's college exercise supreme authority merely by human right, I don't know where he got that from because I'm going right to scripture and scripture shows that they have divine right and their successors as well. But but like within the example I use within a marriage, you know, there is a there is a, a rank structure. You know, it doesn't mean that they're not equal. It, you know, it, you know, it, you know, a husband and a wife, they're both created in the image of God. Uh, they are equal in the eyes of God, but there is a rank structure, you know, just like there is a rank structure within the Trinity. Um, so let me. Yeah. And, and, and va- by the way, and Vatican II does teach that. I, I don't know. This priest probably yeah. didn't read the documents of Vatican II because I quoted them in paragraph 880. Yeah and 883 it's clearly taught in vatican II. what this priest saying is not taught i mean i i don't have a problem people criticizing modernism and even vatican II. but make your case if you're going to say something i need a footnote there if you're going to say something that goes against the new testament once again the phrase is here the, the bishop's college exercise supreme authority merely by human right um, again, I, I beg to defer. I see divine rights conferred to the apostles right in the New Testament. Yeah. Jesus 911, listening to Jesper Mayor and Paul Clay. We'll continue on this topic collegiality. Don't go anywhere. Stick around. Back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, two-man call. We're talking about collegiality. Uh, I'll just turn it over to Paul here so he can make his comments. The only thing that I will say is this, that uh, I, I think that the Catholic Church continues to follow the template that we see in the Old Testament. You have a king, the king of Israel or the king of Judah, and the king of Israel has also a prime minister, and then the king of Judah and Israel, they also had cabinet ministers as advisors. That's why you say, for example, in the book of Amos, chapter 3, verse 3, the two walk together unless they have agreed to do so, or Ecclesiastes 4.12, where one alone may overcome, two together can resist a three-ply cord is not easily broken or psalm 131 verse 3 yeah. how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together as one i think we see the new testament template jesus is the new king david the fulfillment of king david the, the peter is the new prime minister in the new testament and the 12 apostles are the cabinet ministers that king david enjoyed in the old testament uh again yeah. they i don't think it was just they were just they, they were just a polish a position of of just uh, just stand there and you know and take a photo op. I think they serve so, as political advisors, kind of like the president has cabinet ministers, Secretary yeah. of State, Secretary yeah. of Education. They actually advise them on certain things, and I think uh, that's the way I see the role of the of, of the bishops in Vatican II. Uh, can it be abused? Absolutely. Any anything can be abused. Papal primacy can be abused, or a collegiality can be abused. Depends who's yeah. it depends who's in the office. Yeah. yeah go ahead. So, so Jess, um, um, 
in the other article that I was citing, um, it, ta- it, it quotes uh, Archbishop Lefebvre as he spoke to the council, president of the council. And by the way, he mentions earlier that not only did he see the problem of collegiality as an issue, but the conservative bishops also did. So it was definitely an issue because they, they, you know, they, they were old school Catholics, you know, their whole lives, and they saw something different at Vatican II that was not the same as it, as it had been for years and years and years. But here's a, here's the actual words of uh, Lefebvre. In this way, national or international colleges would gradually take the place in the church of the personal government of a single pastor. Several fathers have mentioned the danger of a lessening of the power of the, of the sovereign pontiff, and we are fully in agreement with them. But we foresee another danger, even more serious if possible, the threat of the gradual disappearance of the essential character of the bishops, namely that they are true pastors, each one of whom feeds and governs his own flock, entrusted to him in accordance with the power proper to him alone, directly and fully contained in his order. The national assemblies with their commissions would soon and unconsciously be feeding and governing all the flocks so that the priests as well as the laity would find themselves placed between these two pastors, the bishop whose authority would be theoretical and the assembly which, uh, with its commissions, which would in fact hold the exercise of that authority. Now, let me, let me break that down and unpack that. We see the same thing going on right now in Europe with um, the European Union when Poland and Hungary, they're being sanctioned as we speak for, you know, because of their uh, opposition to the wokeness ideology that it, that is embraced by the European Union. And so essentially they have sovereign governments, you know, individually in Hungary and Poland, but because they are part of this, you know, European Union, their individual preferences of governing their own people take a back seat to the broader, um, I, you know, ideas of the European Union. And it's that same type of an idea, essentially, that uh, if you get a college that has a, you know, broad view of things, it's like a one-size-fits-all thing, and each individual bishop is not free to uh, act according to his own conscience. I think that that is a significant point, and I think that the uh, Archbishop Lefebvre uh, was given um, uh, prophetical eyes to see this because we see this very thing happening right now um, uh, in the church. You know, uh, I, I, I agree. The way you explain that, I, I agree, because I remember uh, not, a couple, not too long ago, I had a good friend of mine. He's a political wonky Catholic named Jason Jones. And he's actually written an article on LifeSite News where he's actually said, Jason Jones says, uh, the USCCB uh, should be disbanded because it's become a criminal organization. Now, those are strong mm-hmm. words from Jason Jones, but he backs it up quite well. 
yeah. because he shows the way the USCCB probably, uh, in fact, I'm, I'm reading this quote here. The USCCB should have never been created in the first place. Uh, yeah, it has become uh, it has become more of like of a criminal organization. What did he mean by that, Jason Jones? What he meant by that is again, like you said, uh, when when everybody has to get in line and they have to toe the party line, whether it's the NATO yes. or the European U EU or the USCCB, if you have more bad apples that are governing that body. Like I just say right now, you, we know that there's at least 14 cardinals and bishops that are pro-LGBT in the USCCB. Uh, when you have that that type of that type of uh, those type of rotten apples in a basket, it doesn't it, it does affect the rest of them. And one of the things that that is what you read that is part of church history is that prior to the, these the these. Uh, synods and these count and these uh, bishops bodies bishops operated pretty much independently i mean you know yeah. they went to go visit the pope every five years the ad limina visit yeah but they yeah. they pretty much they were the little popes of their diocese where now your uh, archbishop lefebvre point out something that's true is that everybody's been kind of corralled okay you guys are in the u.s you guys are going to be called the usccb you guys in mexico you guys are going to be called the latin american bishops and what happens is if you have more modernists in that body of, again, you know, just the Australian bishops or whatever, you know, the European bishops, yes. if yes. you have more modernists, they're going to bully the other people into conformity right. and there's going to be a problem. Their autonomy, right. Yes. Yeah. Then you lose your autonomy even in your, in your own diocese. Yes. So, yeah, yes. that's the danger. That's, that, that's uh, uh, Lefebvre pointed it out. That is absolutely. Now, I'll tell you why this worked in the early church. I'll tell you why, because there was only twelve apostles. <laughs> they were all hand, they were all handpicked by Jesus, and they basically lived in close proximity to each other for three uh, three and a half years. They all they all lived together. Yeah, so you you could see that 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 body of bishops were going to be of one mind and one spirit. But when you but a, a country as big as ours with with the you know. 198 dioceses, which means at least 198 bishops. In fact, some of them do modernism. <laughs> yeah, in fact, with modernism and Protestant Protestant thought, uh, separation of church and state, which is a free Masonic thought. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, you you can see where the original 12 apostles expanded to an entire country doesn't work too well. Yes. Um, again, this is. Uh... An interesting, very interesting conversation to have in light of the things going on right now and uh, in our church. Uh, we do know one thing, though, that in the end, Christ, Jesus the Christ, will straighten it all out, Jeff. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, again, I think collegiality, if you had a bunch of Fulton Sheens in, in, in a country, can you imagine? Uh, the doctrine of, or, or you know, just the people again, people that are orthodox and 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 patriotic and holy Catholic men. I mean, can you imagine the good that they can do in a nation if they all got together, these bishops? But again, that's just not the mm -hmm. case. We're, we're talking about fallen nature. We're talking about weak. Yep. Many of them are just weak men, and so yep. something that that the New Testament shows in in seminal form with the twelve apostles is something that was quite good and effective. When you expand it across nations, it loses its effectiveness.
Well, not you know another example in in sacred scriptures, you know you had Saul who was the anointed king of Israel. He was anointed by God. He was you know and yet he was a wicked king, and the people were underneath this wicked king, but he was still the king. And and even David recognized that when he you know Saul was trying to kill David and trying to kill David's men and hunting them down, and David would not touch God's anointed because David understood his position as the king. And that, you know, you could, I mean, you could imagine there was a, there could have been a bunch of people saying, Hey, you know, we need to take a stand against the king. You know, there could have been different, uh, you know, people in the upper echelon of society, but it's not how it works in a monarchy. You know, the king is the king, good, bad, or indifferent. And, 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 you know, if he's a bad and wicked king, it's God's business to deal with him. And it's our business to stand for what we know to be the truth. It's like, you know, uh, you know, we cannot be ordered to do anything. I used to tell the, the deputies, uh, you know, listen, you know, you need to do what I tell you to do, whether or not you agree with it or not. As long as it's not immoral, illegal or unethical, then you're, you know, you must obey what I have to say, you know, uh, it's it's in the same way as the Pope commands us to do something that we know to be immoral, to violate the, you know, the truths, the, the timeless truths that have been taught and laid down, you know, over the centuries in, you know, in the church. No, we, you know, we cannot, we cannot obey that command. We cannot obey that. It, it's an, it's, 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 it's an, you know, and, and in the end he will be proven to be wrong. But if it's something that's not, you know, a, 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 you know, a violation of something that we know to be true, well, then we have to yield respectfully, just like a yeah. wife has Amen. to yield to her husband. Amen. I, I don't think the uh, collegiality is the problem. I, I think it's modernism poured into the mm -hmm. poured into the definition of collegiality, because yeah. if you look at Vatican One's teaching on the primacy of Peter. If you got a bad pope, they can abuse Vatican I's teaching. But if you get a bad crop of bishops in a country like in Germany, then collegiality of the bishops can be abused as well. I think the problem is modernism and modernist clergy. That's my take. Great show, Paul. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot, bro. We'll see you uh, next week. And uh, up next, Gary Machuda, hands-on apologetics, coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. I hope you enjoyed the program. We, we enjoy uh, coming to you every single week. God bless you. Keep the faith. And uh, we're the most powerful. Pray for us, Our Lady of Fatima. Pray for us.